The Innovate 608 podcast is brought to you by Starting Block Madison and sponsored by the Wisconsin State Journal, Madison.com, and the American Family Insurance Institute for Corporate and Social Impact. The Institute invests in visionary entrepreneurs who are building scalable social enterprises, offering economic opportunity for all, healthy youth development, learning, and academic achievement, and resilient communities. From the Starting Block Madison studio in the beautiful Capital East neighborhood of downtown Madison, Wisconsin, this is the Innovate 608 podcast, and I am your host, Nora Rowan-Schmidt. This is the Innovate 608 podcast. Today in the studio, we have Scott Forrester, a fractional CFO, founder of Think Forward CFO, and master of all things budgets, numbers, and spreadsheets. Hi, Scott. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to be here, Nora. Oh, it's such a thrill. So for those who are listening and don't know what a fractional CFO does, can you talk about what that means exactly and what you do? Sure, sure. That's a term that's being used these days for what used to be called an outsourced CFO. And basically, it's a person who serves the role of a CFO for a smaller company that either doesn't need a full-time or can't afford a full-time CFO. In my case, I've got a lot of experience through my career doing a lot of back office stuff. So it's even more than just the financial things. I've worked with HR, IT, insurance, all that. So I really try to give advice to a founder, entrepreneur who may not have all that experience um, just to help them. That's great. What's your history with numbers? Have you always just been a numbers person from a very young age? I, I have been. I've always loved numbers. But I will also say that a lot of the work that I do, even though it's called financial, is about much more than numbers. It's about you know, guidance. And you know the numbers help to tell the story. And in my, you know, my job is to help, you know, wh what is that story? What, 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 what is behind the numbers? What you should, what should you be aware of? What should you do? You know, I call my company Think Forward because it's, it's looking forward as opposed to backwards, not being a scorekeeper. How do startup finances differ from corporate finances? Really, a startup's finances to me is really about cash flow. It's about how, how much can you how much can you spend and how how long can you go before you have to bring in revenue, and that's really you know what makes a difference. Your, the P and L, the margins, all that stuff doesn't matter as much when you're trying to start a new company. Um, you know, it's important more than the finances, but setting up a good foundation so that you have the systems, the process, et cetera, in place as you grow in scale. How do people know when to move from jotting things down in a notebook <laughs> to Excel spreadsheets to working with a professional? And there would be a step in, in between where they probably would start using QuickBooks. Yep. And, um, you know, one of the things that it's been interesting for me is to see people in, when I look at QuickBooks and the expenses are all in alphabetical order, that tells me that the person who set it up didn't, isn't, really a financial person and I try to help with that but you know it's important to you know really I would say when it's always it, it couldn't hurt to have someone like me involved very early on and, and I have many clients that that is the case but really when it's too late is after you start having revenue you start selling that's when you really want to make sure your house is in order 
And that's when bringing in someone like me is important. Also bringing in other advisors, a tax person. I, I know tax, I, I can help with tax, but I don't do the tax. And um, you know, making sure you're not making mistakes. There's a lot of, uh, the states are want a piece of companies. And so when you start selling in other states, when you start hiring in other states, you wanna make sure that you've set things up right. We talk a lot on this show about the global pandemic and the effects that it has had on entrepreneurship. Can you speak to uh, some of the impacts that it's had on your business? Well, I have started my business during COVID. Uh, The last company that I worked for as a full-time CFO uh, was sold literally right before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. and I helped with the transition, and I started my business during the pandemic, and it's not impacted me at all. It's been very good. The only thing that's a little bit strange is that there are some clients that I have still not met face to face. Oh, I bet. <laughs> only Zoom meetings at right. this point. You support companies in many different industries, both in the nonprofit and the for profit space. How are some of the needs and strategies uh, just a little bit different for each? So, so first, let's start with the for-profit, because I have also worked in a lot of different industries, tech, toys, um, consumer, various consumer goods, and a lot of the basics are the same. And, uh, you know, it's important to know that. Uh, there may be some specialties, in, you know, when you get into healthcare or something like that, but most of it's the same. And the same, I would say, goes to not-for-profits, too. A lot of the same, you and I work closely on starting block, and, you know, I try to bring the best practices that I've learned from the profit world to, to the volunteer work I do in the non, not-for-profit space. So I think that's, that's really what I, the not-for-profit should strive to be, to follow the same practices as, as any other company. How should a startup allocate their time as far as the financial side of their business? Um, and how does that change over time compared to when they began? You know, I kind of made reference to this before when you talked about how much time people should, you know, what the differences are at the beginning. You know, I would say that it's important at the beginning to spend some time on the finances, especially on cash flow, which I said before, and I will Mm -hmm. never stop emphasizing that. Um, (laughs) Good point of emphasis. Make sure that you know, you know, I have a, you know this too, that I, I like to look at a bank account every day to know what's in there. That's the that's the, the source of truth. Is there anything that's come in or gone out that I, that is a surprise? Um, setting up taxes at the beginning is, is really important. Um, I think that, um, you know, as they grow, looking at the more traditional P&L margins, thing like that, that's you know, you'll, you'll spend more time with that once you start generating revenue and, and, and being able to, you know, find out what's good for you as far as what you like in terms of financial reporting. Some people, it's a typical P&L. Some people have a, something different than they, that they like to look at. They want to see things broken down in certain ways and, and either, you know, work with your financial advisor to help provide you with what you like the way you, you want to see it. Are there any things in that breakdown as an expert that you think are particularly important to look at? You know, each company is different. Um, I, I would say that really focusing on the, this, 
the bigger amounts um, are are key. You know, stuff stuff that's a hundred dollars here and there doesn't matter as much as the stuff that's fifty, hundred thousand, or a million. Um, and really try to focus on that. And what can you learn from those things? Are there any common mistakes or pitfalls that can be easily avoided by working with an expert? You know, I would say, you know, for me, it's, you know, I've been there, I've done it, I've, I've had, you know, decades of experience so that I can offer advice. I, I find many entrepreneurs don't know what they don't know, and I don't mean that as an insult, um, but, you know, for me coming and saying, have you thought about this? There's risk here. Do you know about this? Um, maybe there's a way to get financing that you haven't explored. Um, and then really taxes. Um, you know, I, I've worked with a number of companies that have hired people in other states without properly setting that up. Oh, and, sure. and that can really come back to bite you. And even general taxes. Sometimes there's forms that you need to file, even if there are zeros on them, that if you don't file, you can get a notice from the IRS or somebody else. They make up a number. You owe $5,000 because you didn't file this thing. And all it takes is filing the, the form with zero. One other thing that I've seen with a lot of tech entrepreneurial companies is not understanding that there is such a thing as the research and development tax credit. And it is something that most will qualify for, and they can also get it even if they're not paying taxes. It, it can offset the employer side of FICA, and that's something that I've made many clients aware of. That's interesting because I wasn't aware of it either. How, what kind of savings um, you know, it, results as, from that? As you grow, it can be significant, but I've had you know smaller clients that may spend four or $5,000 to get this work done, and they could get 10 times that in, in credits. Oh, wow. Yeah. You've helped multiple startups um, as they head down the path to acquisition. How do you prepare for it? It, it seems um, like an intimidating process, but you seem to be incredibly good at it. Talk about how that works. So there's a lot to that, and it's interesting because you know, selling a company is not, each one is unique and they don't, you know, it isn't really taught in school. You know, if you're going for an MBA, maybe there might be a little bit about it, but there's not a lot about it. I've sold four companies, um, one to Hasbro, one to Heinz, one to Mondelez, and one to Whipfley. Um, each one was unique. Two, uh, we used investment brokers Two, um, we didn't. So it's basically, if you sell your house with a broker or without a broker, it's a very different experience. Um, which is better is hard to say. I can see pros and cons of each. Um, really, I'd say the, the most important thing is to, to know, you know, if that's your ultimate goal, which for many entrepreneurs it is, to really make sure that as you grow, your house is in order. That there, you know, that there are no surprises. They're going to do their due diligence. They're going to ask questions, and you want to make sure that you come across knowledgeable and you know informed and that open, and and that you can explain things. You know, they'll look at your P and L for the past number of years, and they'll want to know 
like specific things of like things that were unique about the year. You need to tell the story of the year and not just give them the, the numbers. I think that's important. It, and also to know that the whole process takes a lot of time. And, you know, one of the things that I also will tell a client is during this process, know you're going to get distracted and you don't want to have it impact your business because you don't have your eye on the ball of the business. Um, so to be aware of that. And then also to know once the deal happens, life changes. And you, the, the entrepreneur may or may not be part of the new company, but know that if you are, it's going to be different. You're used to making the decisions, not having to answer to anybody. Um, it, it, you will. And uh, even if they, I, I've worked for a couple where they say, we want you to stay exactly how you are, be entrepreneurial, but then they make, make the company put in a big ERP system, which changes everything. And that you have to have quarterly results and the decisions aren't necessarily made for the long term. And it's just a different thing. And you have to be ready for that. And also to pay attention to your culture. Um, as they come in, it, it will change it, whether you, know, they, you want it to or not. You just have to be aware. Um, and so be ready for all of these things. And you mentioned the, that it's sometimes a lengthy process. How long did it take uh, in the so case when of I, the Heinz deal, for example? So, I mean, that was with an investment banker. It probably was, you know, nine at least nine months. Oh wow! I can tell you, Hasbro um, was probably a year and a half, and um, it's, that was interesting because it was completely secretive. Nobody knew about it until there was until it was said, and so I had to, you know, keep things. I had to I had to get information for them, and not make people wonder why Scott's asking all these questions of, of my staff. Mm -hmm. um, wow. Yeah. It sounds like a really interesting process. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, working with a good lawyer is, is very important. Good tip. What advice would you give to someone that you've never met who is really concerned about debt and their startup? So I assume... By debt, you mean bank debt? Yes. Um, you know, it's funny. Some of the, the people that I've worked with have never worked with a bank. They've never gone to a bank to ask for a loan, and they're intimidated. And, you know, again, once you have your house in order, and you know, you know, I like to work with bankers who are interested in the relationship more than just the numbers. And if you can be open and honest, and which you should be, and develop a good rapport with the banker. Um, it, it, there, there really shouldn't be anything to be intimidated by. I have actually helped some of my clients teach them how to, 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 to work with the banks, to, to give them information. The bank doesn't want a surprise. They, they, you know, if, if, even if it's bad news, they'd rather know as soon as it happens um, and, and to really keep that in mind. And, and, you know, yes, you can give them the projections of what things look like for the future, but they really are more concerned with what the past has been. Um, and, um, you know, just learn to, to, to be open, honest, and, you know, professional. Professional. 
Is it wise for startups to take on debt, whether it's bank debt, credit card debt? You know, is that a I, good look, the, the or necessary good, one of the, piece of the puzzle? One of the good things about debt is is it helps you with your finances without diluting you, diluting your ownership. So you know that if you can get it, that's great. Some of the startups, if there isn't, you know, the bank needs something as collateral. So they would either need a personal guarantee, which some entrepreneurs either don't want to do or can't do. And if you aren't really selling anything, the bank doesn't have, you know, something to have, you know, to go against it if, if things don't work out. So most of the bank debt, the traditional would be receivables and inventory. Um, a lot of the tech companies, there certainly isn't inventory. And if you're a SaaS model, your revenue is, is recurring. There's not really a receivable. Um, so you would have to work with the bank um, to, f to figure out how, how the terms of such a deal would work. The financial side of any business is occasionally very intimidating to people. I know there are certain aspects of of financial things that are still intimidating to me, even with quite a bit of experience. One of the things that I love that you always say when we're working together on a budget or anything else is ask questions, ask questions, you know, let me help you understand what questions should people be asking? What are the, what are some of the things that you feel are the most important to help people understand the full picture of what they're experiencing? So I would say an important thing is to, that no question is stupid. And Which is so wonderful, <laughs> and I love that you say that. <laughs> and that, you know, if you're afraid to ask a question about something you think you should know or you look silly, ask it anyway. And I really, I work very hard not to be judgmental um, because I want to, to help. Because if you haven't done something before, it's all new to you. And um, so, so really ask what's on your mind, um, why things are the way they are. Um, be curious. I, I, the question that I often ask is, what's keeping you up at night? Um, because that's, to me, the thing that I would like to be able to help with. Um, because it usually indicates risk or a problem or something that I might be able to offer advice on. Yeah, that's really fantastic because all of us have something keeping us up at night these days, for right. sure. You spent a large part of your career in Chicago and then moved to Madison a few years ago. What do you love about Madison and why Madison for your business? So I spent my whole life in Chicago and very networked and, and I love it there and I never thought I would leave Chicago. And then my wife got a job here in Madison and we sold our house and, and we moved here. And I had to do something that I never thought I would have to do. And that's like, you know, become part of a new, a new city. And, and I love networking, but I came here really knowing nobody. And now I know lots of people. I'm involved in, in lots of organizations. And what I love about Madison is, is the diversity um, which my, my network is much more diverse than it would have been in Chicago, than it was in Chicago. I love that, you know, it's got a small town feel, but big time culture. Uh, I love to go to concerts and take advantage of all that Madison has to offer. 
I, I think that starting my fractional CFO business in Madison has been much easier than it would have been in Chicago. Uh, most of the business, my clients have come through word of mouth. And in a bigger city, I think that would have been much harder. Um, and it's just been, been much easier to do it here in Madison. And, and one of the things I also love about Madison is starting block. And I love to be here. I love the people that I meet here. I love being part of an important piece of Madison's you know, tech, tech and entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I love the randomness of just meeting people in the hall and the, the relationships that happen and how I can help people I meet and how they can help me. And it's just very special. It is very special. What are some ways that you are involved in the community in Madison? You've answered some of this already, but what are some things that you're involved in and how do you give back? I love giving back. All my, you know, all my career, I've, I've liked to, been, to give back. I've been involved in not-for-profits. Um, I'm on the starting block board as treasurer, which has been mentioned. I am on the Boys and Girls Club Finance Committee. Uh, there's an organization here called Finance Executives of Madison. I'm on that board. And then I'm also involved in other organizations like DMI, the Chamber of Commerce, Rotary, Merlin Mentors, Capital Entrepreneurs, Doyen, and the list goes on and on. And, and I also like to give back by doing a lot of mentoring, a lot of pro bono um, help for people either in starting block or other places, they just have questions. You know, let's have a cup of coffee and, you know, over 30 minutes, maybe I can um, give them something that they, that they need. I love introducing people to other people who should know each other. And I also love being a person that people ask, do you know someone who does this and that I can look and, and give them some recommendations? And so that's, it's really all great. It is. You are a, you're certainly a master connector. What are some other things that inspire you? Or have you worked with anyone recently who's been particularly inspirational? Well, what really inspires me is my family. Um, my wife, who is a rabbi and does amazing work. My oldest daughter, who has lived in South Korea, Vietnam, India, and now she lives in Israel with her new husband, and she makes a career of uh, yoga, nutrition, and mindfulness, and I serve as her business coach. And um, my son, who is in rabbinical school, and he, I can already tell he will be an inspiring person. And my youngest daughter is uh, graduating in May with a, degree, with a master's degree in Jewish education, and I know she'll have a great career. I often tell people that I'm the lay leader of my family, helping them to do good work um, in the world. Um, as far as someone in the business world who has inspired me, there have been many along, along my career. And, and one in particular um, was the CEO of the tech company I worked at before I came to Madison. Actually, I was still working when I came from Madison called Punchkick Interactive. It's now part of Whipfly. And uh, Zach Dabas was that person. And I, I worked with Zach for five years, and he was like no one I've ever worked for. He, he was a very caring person who was all about, uh, he, he, we had like a flat organization, no, no, no levels, no hierarchy, very open, very honest. We had daily huddles. We, we, we really helped each other. And Zach taught me how important 
the culture of a company could be. And um, one thing that my wife would s- said to me after I was working for Punch Kick for a year or so is, is that I had re-became, I re-became the person she had married. And so that was really sweet. And, and, and I still am in touch with Zach, you know, almost every day. That's awesome. I know that you're an avid pod- podcast listener and also an avid reader and an, a fan of audiobooks. Have you heard any um, financial podcasts or any financial reference materials that you feel are particularly valuable to entrepreneurs? So, so the one that I love the most for entrepreneurs is NPR's How I Built This um, with Guy Raz. I think it's really interesting to hear the stories of all these newer companies and, and, and the trials and tribulations that their founders have had. There's a lot of good lessons that, that one can get from those. Um, but I also like, you know, podcasts about general organization stuff, not just business, not just finance, but business in general. And some of my favorites there would be Brene Brown um, on Unlocking, uh, Unlocking Us and Dare to Lead and also Adam Grant on, I think, Taking for Granted. I don't remember the exact name. But I also just love, I just love listening to many different podcasts. I'm very curious and I like to learn about other things. We have many listeners who are in the very early stages of their business and they're working from home or they're working on their startup on the side and are getting ready to make that next move. What are a few tips or just a little bit of wisdom you can share with those people who aren't sure if they're ready to yeah, make the big leap? For sure. Um, you know, be your genuine self. Be true to yourself. Um, be authentic. Be real. I think that's, that's just so important. I think that, um, you know, being an entrepreneur involves taking risks. But the best entrepreneurs that I've worked with take really calculated, educated risks so that the odds are good that they will succeed. And so really to analyze what the decisions you're making and why you're making them so that, you know, your odds of success will be good, will, you know, will, will be towards the, the you know, the, hopefully that they will happen um, positively. I also would say just in general, ask people how you can help them. Do good for others. It always comes back to help you. Scott, what's the best way for people to reach you if they're interested in your services or would like a, a meeting? Sure. Um, my, my email address, scott at thinkforwardcfo.com or my website, which is www.thinkforwardcfo.com, or they can just come to Starting Block because I'm always here. Right. Come see us. <laughs> Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Innovate 608 podcast. What's the most innovative thing you've done this week? Record a message all about your innovation and send it to us in an email at innovate608 at startingblockmadison.org. Be sure to check out the Starting Block Madison Facebook page for video clips and episode outtakes. Remember, innovators, do one thing every day that is slightly outside of your comfort zone. That's where the magic happens. Thanks so much to the American Family Insurance Institute for Corporate and Social Impact for sponsoring this episode. See you next time.